Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do. Go ahead and grab those. We're in Psalms chapter 110 this morning. If you were on your way in and you did not grab a Lord's Supper cup, that's one of the ways that we're going to worship the Lord today. And so to give you a moment, if you want to sneak out and grab one out in the lobby, I'm going to tell you to go ahead and stand back up real quick. And I want you to look around and I want you to wave or fist bump or handshake, whatever you're comfortable with, elbow. I don't know what you need to do to everybody around you. Say hey to everybody around you real quick. If you need to get a Lord's Supper cup, go ahead and run out and grab one of those real quick. All right, I think I gave people enough time to sneak out and grab a Lord's Supper cup. This is, uh, you know, crowd participation. That was about 50%, so a good job on that. About 50% there. Psalms, we are in a series called Wisdom and Worship, and we are hopping along as we go through the book of Psalms. And so 110 is the psalm that we're in this morning. It is a messianic psalm. That means it's uh, Christ-centric. It is going to point us towards Jesus Christ. And uh, we're going to look at him as Lord, as priest, and as king. Now, as you enter today, there might be uh, a question on your mind. Life's full of questions. There's all kinds of questions that we wrestle with. We, we wrestle with big questions like, who am I? What is my purpose? If you're a child, you're wrestling with, where do babies come from? Uh, maybe you're wrestling with, where should we eat after service? Uh, where should we go on vacation? And maybe this morning you stood in front of your closet and you said, what should I wear, right? Amen, yeah. <laughs> we have questions. As we watch the news, we ask questions of, why is this happening? What is going on in our world? Why is God allowing pain and suffering with the Ukrainian people? And so let's just pause. We don't have the answers, but we have one who is faithful that we can go to, who is in complete control, who is Lord, who is priest, and who is king. So let's pray. Gracious Father, we come to you with many questions on our minds. Father, you know all things. You're above all things. You're in all things. You control all things. You're sovereign. And all things happen according to your will, for your glory of your name. And one day we will completely understand. Father, we do come alongside our brothers and sisters in various parts of the world, especially the Ukraine nation right now. Those who are suffering, those who are being persecuted, those who are scared, those who are in danger, those who are hurting, those who are separated from loved ones. Father, we ask for your spirit, the spirit of all peace and all comfort and all guidance and all love, all mercy, all grace, all forgiveness. Father, we pray that you would reveal your glory in, this, in spite of the things of this world, in spite of the ragings of the nations and the leaders of this world who would rise up against you, Lord, that you would be sovereign, that you would be king, and you would be in control. Father, we are your church. We worship you today because you are enough. In Christ's name. Amen. This morning, as we get to our text, it's one of the most quoted psalms in all of the New Testament, Psalm 110. And we're going to look at various uh, parts where it is quoted, and so you're going to need your Bibles. I hope you have those. I will have the, it on the screen as well, but I'd love for you to be able to see it 
in the black and white there on the paper. Now, as Jesus was making his triumphal entry into uh, Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, at one point he's teaching in the temple and he begins to be questioned. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, they're all coming and they're all trying to ask him questions to try to stump the pastor, which is never the pastor's favorite game ever, <laughs> just so you know. Um, and so they're trying to stump the pastor. Well, in this case, it was Jesus and he has the answers. And what he does is he responds with a question. So let me read this out of Matthew chapter 22, 34 through 46. But when the Pharisees heard he silenced the Sadducees. They gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Of these two commandments depends all the law of the prophets. Now let me stop right there. Jesus Christ is the one who fulfills the law. He fulfills these two to the utmost. He loves the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and he loved his neighbor enough to come and to die on a cross. And so as the story goes on, now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, oh, saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare ask him any more questions. Jesus won the stump the pastor round one, right? No one ever asked him another, well, let's just not ask him any more questions. We don't have the answer to this. So here's what Jesus is quoting. He's quoting the first verse out of Psalm 110. He's quoting this that was written by David. David, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing down God's word, is now prophetically speaking into the future, and he's He's saying this, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Now for hundreds of years, rabbis had held to the truth that the Messiah, the Christ, would come and that he would be a descendant of David. He would be a savior to God's people, Israel. He would be a king that would triumph over their enemies. He would be a righteous ruler who was appointed who would come against the enemies and that he would bring justice to the land. They believed that he would reestablish the law of God, that he would even be maybe a political leader leading them to a new kingdom. And they're awaiting this Messiah. And who will he be? He'll be a son of David. He'll be a descendant of David. That's what we read right here in Psalm 110. Well, how is it then, if he's a son, if he's a son of David, a descendant of David, that David would call him Lord? No one had the answer. Psalm 110, Lord, Priest, and King. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do. Follow along here with me. A Psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning. The dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn 
and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. This is God's word, amen? The first thing I want you to see is Jesus is the eternal Lord. Scripture points to it. Right here he says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. The Lord says to my Lord. Now we see that David, by the inspiration of the Spirit, is is, is giving prophecy. He's actually eavesdropping in on this conversation that the Trinity is allowing him to do so. And so in many of your versions there, the first Lord will be all capital letters. The Lord says to my Lord. And so the Lord is Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, speaking to my Lord, Adonai. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Yahweh, reflecting God's covenant faithfulness, his self-existence, he says, I am. What is your name? I am. The Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God of Israel, says to Adonai, which refers to his sovereignty and his authority over all things. So what we have is we have David listening in by the power of the Holy Spirit to a conversation between the Father and the Son in eternity. This is a heavenly divine discourse between two members of the Trinity, the eternal Father and the eternal Son, thus confirming the eternal divinity of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord, and he is eternal. There's never been a time that he did not exist. Jesus Christ is Lord, and the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. That's a power move right there, right? Power move. All of Scripture is pointing towards the divinity of Jesus Christ. John 1, 1 through 3, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus Christ is the eternal Lord. He was in the beginning and he was the word, and he was with God, and he was God in the beginning. As Jesus prays the high priestly prayer in John 17, 1 through 5, he says this, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Do you hear this? Before the world existed, I was there in the glory with the Father. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Yahweh says to Adonai, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. This shows us that Jesus Christ is more than just man. He is Lord. Colossians, Paul would say it this way. Chapter 1, 15 through 17. He is the image. Christ is the image of the invisible God, 
the firstborn of all creation. Not meaning that he was created, but he is preeminent. He is first in line of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Sit at my right hand is the sovereignty and the authority of God holding all things together. He's the one who formed all things, created all things, and has all things for his glory. And not only that, but he entered into humanity. He entered into humanity so that he could subject himself to the creation that he had created. So the question that we all have to ask, have you acknowledged Jesus as Lord? I mean, honestly, have you acknowledged Jesus as Lord? We don't make Jesus Lord. Jesus is Lord. So we, don't acknowledge, we, we have to acknowledge, yes, he is Lord. And what C.S. Lewis says is, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that is Christ. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept him, his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. Scripture has not left any room for anything else. Jesus Christ is Lord, the eternal Lord, who was there from the very beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, the Word was with God. In the beginning. All things were created through him and for him, for his glory. He holds all things. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. So the question, have you acknowledged Jesus as Lord? If yes, if you answer yes, then another question, then does your life show his lordship? If you've acknowledged Jesus as Lord, then does your life show his lordship? Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? How often we were quick to say, yeah, Jesus is Lord, and yet our lives have not submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Instead, we tend to take the right seat. I'll sit at the right hand. I'll make the shots. I'll have full authority over my life. As John Stott once said, for the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. That's the gospel. That the Lord, the eternal Lord, submitted himself, put on flesh to be where we ought to be, which is on a cross in our sin. But he has submitted himself in our place. But we so often are the ones who say, no, I think I'll, I'll be Lord of my life. I think I will call the shots. This is why Psalm 110 is often quoted because the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand in full authority and full power, sovereignty, full sovereignty. As Peter would say in Acts chapter 2 after the moment of Pentecost, 
verses 29 through 36, you see it show up again. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Verse 34, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So what Peter says here is, he's made him Lord. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, but he's also Christ. He's also the Messiah. He's also the one who came to bring in a new kingdom. He is in complete control of all things. He has full authority. And that's why when he left his disciples in the Great Commission, he said this in Matthew 28, 17 and 18. And when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I want you to understand that Jesus Christ, with all authority, is the eternal Lord. Jesus Christ, with all authority, put on flesh and was crucified for our sins. Jesus, with all authority, defeated death and ascended into heaven. Jesus, with all authority, is at the right hand of the Father right now. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. We are one verse in. We got a long way to go. This is why Paul would say, have this mind among yourselves in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I, I don't know if you've got point one down yet, but Jesus is the eternal Lord. He put on flesh. He didn't think it's his equality with God is something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and came in the form of a servant, putting on flesh, even to the point of death, death on the cross, so that he can make an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Yahweh, God the Father, Jehovah, and Adonai, the Lord Jesus Christ, stand as one against those who are enemies of his lordship. You cannot separate the two. John 10, 30 says, I and the Father are one. Therefore, to oppose Jesus as Lord is to oppose God. If you deny Jesus and his lordship, then you deny God also. The two are one, yet many live as though they are enemies of the cross. Paul in Philippians 3, 18 through 21. For many 
of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. Let me stop right there. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say to do? Those who say Jesus Christ is Lord have acknowledged his lordship and have submitted their lives to his lordship, meaning that their God is not their belly, their God is not the things of this earth, but their God sits on a throne and has full authority and sovereignty over their life, and they say, I'm all yours. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ whom will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Verse two, you ready? The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Rule in the midst of your enemies. He sends forth from Zion. He sends forth with a mighty scepter. His rule and his reign far extends that of just Israel, but it goes to every tribe and language and tongue. He is the king over all things. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. His reign goes out in the midst of his enemies. What does this mean for us? It means that at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, there is a resurrected Lord that was and is God in the flesh, that he is fully divine, but he is also fully human forever, that Jesus has added humanity to his divinity, and now he sits in all authority, having redeemed for himself a people of his own possession. This is amazing thoughts here that the Lord of all eternity has put on flesh to his his divinity and now he has ascended and he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us a better covenant. My, your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. How does his rule go in the midst of his enemies? That while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. We were brought into a better kingdom. This is what Paul says in Romans 5, 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God, By the death of the Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. His rule and his reign goes out in the midst of his enemies because he's changing enemies into sons and to daughters. And your people... Those who are brought in because of your sacrifice, your people will offer themselves freely, verse three, on the day of your power and holy garments. Not only that, but your people now clothed in your righteousness will offer themselves freely to you. Washed clean by the blood of the lamb. Put on Christ. Take off your filthy garments. Those who know salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ rejoice in their reconciliation. But more than that, they offer themselves freely to the Lordship and His service. 
So there is a kingship, there's a scepter that goes out amongst the enemies that are bringing enemies into the house of God, sons and daughters, and once you've been washed clean and you've put on Christ, now you freely submit yourself to his lordship. Let me ask you, is Jesus Christ Lord? Is he the eternal Lord that sits at the right hand of the Father? Good, you're paying attention. Ligon Duncan puts it this way, Christians, they love his reign. His reign is their freedom. His reign is their joy. His reign is their hope. And he will reign in this way. And so when we hear Paul say words like, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, Paul's not saying that there will be some universal salvation so that every last man, woman, and child that ever existed will become a believer and will enjoy heaven forever. He is acknowledging that there will be a universal acknowledgement of the kingship of Jesus by his enemies and by his disciples, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? So Jesus is the eternal Lord. Number two, Jesus is the everlasting priest. Verse four, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You know, when God swears, that's a big thing, isn't it? He swears to himself because there's nothing greater for him to swear to, right? I swear to myself. So he's sworn, and not, not only that, has he made a promise, he's decided I'll never change my mind on this. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You, the Lord, are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, if you have your Bibles, let me tell you, you're going to need them. Okay, Hebrews chapter 7, flip over there with me. We're going to walk through this mysterious person, Melchizedek, that shows up in Scripture. Melchizedek shows up in Genesis 14. You don't have to turn there. I'll put it on the screen. He shows up in Genesis 14. He's mentioned here in Psalm 110. And now, again, he'll be mentioned in Hebrews. And so we're going to look at what it means that Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order and the lineage of the priest of Aaron or the Levites. So Genesis 14, 18 through 20 says this, Now, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Melchizedek. This mysterious Melchizedek, the king of Salem, Salem being Jerusalem before Jerusalem was Jerusalem, it was Salem. He is the king, and he comes out, and he offers bread and wine. He makes an offering here representing peace. So in Hebrews chapter 7 will give us a little more insight into this. The writer of Hebrews will say this. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. So here we have Melchizedek, this king and this priest. These were 
two separate roles based on the law. They could not be held by the same person, right? Because that, that, was, that was going against the, the, the tribes. And so you've got this guy, Melchizedek, who comes out of nowhere, out of obscurity, who has no lineage, who has no genealogy. We know nothing about him except that he is the king of righteousness and he's the king of peace. And he comes bringing a gift of bread and wine. Does this remind you of anyone? So let's keep going. Hebrews 11, or 7 verses 11 through 12. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there be have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was a descendant from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. Verse 15. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of legal requirement, concerning bodily descent, but by the power of the indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, this sound familiar? You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, verse 18. For on the one hand, a former commitment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus a grantor of a better covenant. Let's stop right there. So here we have the old way of the Levitical wall where the priest of Aaron would go day in and day out and make sacrifices for the people to atone for sins. And yet there would always be another priest and always another priest and always another priest. And this was made by the law and not by a promise. Well, Melchizedek, he represents a priest by a promise that will last forever because of an indestructible life. Since Jesus is indestructible because he's Lord, he is now priest and he sits at the right hand of the Father and so he will always intercede for us because his life never ends. And so this is how I've explained uh, interest-only loan, right? I think I explained this when we were going through the book of Hebrews. Now, when I got out of college, I had uh, a massive amount of college debt, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to pay ahead on this. I'm going to knock this out. I didn't realize that at that time it was an interest-only loan. So every time I paid extra, it just went towards interest. And my debt never dropped. And I was finally like, well, what is going on? I'm, I'm shelling out all this extra money, and yet I'm still in debt, and it's, it's not decreasing at all. And they're like, well, it's interest only. Once you pay off all the interest, then we'll start applying it to, to your debt. Okay, well, that sounds like a racket, right? Well, the old way was, I tell you what, you make these sacrifices, you bring the sacrifice daily for the sins of the people, and it'll appease the bank, God, right? It'll appease God, but it will never do anything to eliminate the debt that you're in. In fact, you're going to keep sinning and you're going to keep borrowing and you're going to keep being more and more and more in debt and you're never going to get out of debt because this law is weak, is what Hebrews says, and it does not work, but there is a, 
there's a priest out of the order of Melchizedek that comes with a promise that he will not change his mind because this is a guarantor of a better covenant. That's Jesus Christ. And what he did is he laid down his life being the priest, being the lamb, so that all of our sins of all time would be washed away. Whew. Yeah. So verse 23 of chapter 7. The former priest were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds this priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints the son who has been made perfect forever. Jesus Christ is the eternal Lord, and he is the everlasting priest forever. God has promised it, and he's not going to change his mind. He's made an oath, and this is the promise that he will always be at the right hand of the Father, interceding for those who have been washed by his blood. Jesus Christ, Adonai, the everlasting priest, is the promise of an everlasting sacrifice to atone for our sins. He comes out of obscurity, he comes out of eternity as the king of righteousness to make an offering of peace, an offering of bread and wine, which is his body and his blood. Is this not beautiful that Jesus Christ is the guarantor of a greater covenant, a promise of God? So Jeff, what's the point of this? Well, chapter eight, verse one tells us. In Hebrews 8.1, now the point in what we are saying is this. Don't you love how the writer is like, I know I confused you, but here's the point. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. You have someone who is interceding for you. Jesus Christ, Adonai, the Lord, the sovereign, who was there in the beginning, who is now seated at the right hand in all authority the one who has made the sacrifice on your behalf with his own body and his own blood, now mediating a better covenant. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on a better promise. Oh, what a promise God has made to us in his son, Jesus Christ. Not only is Jesus our eternal Lord, who has all authority sitting at the right hand of the Father. He is our everlasting priest who sits at the right hand mediating an everlasting covenant of salvation purchased by his own sacrifice. In fact, as we've read this morning, no one comes to the Father except through him. So as you are there this morning, as we worship, we worship with the ordinances because there was an offering that was made, one of bread and one of wine, an offering of peace. As we partake today of the bread and the wine or the, the cracker and the juice, because <laughs> we're Baptist, you know. As we partake of this, this is a picture of an oath 
that was made by God. This is a picture of a promise that he will not change his mind on, that Jesus Christ is the everlasting priest forever. No more sacrifices need to be made. This is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, that those who see him and acknowledge him as Lord also have him as Savior, Jesus Christ. I would ask that you would bow your head and just prepare your heart before we partake of the ordinances together. And as you bow your head and as you pray, I want to read John 6, 48 through 58 to you. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. As we reflect on the promise, this oath, let me ask you, have you acknowledged Jesus Christ as Lord? Have you received the forgiveness of your sins by his body that was broken on your behalf and the blood that was shed to wash you clean. If you have never bowed your knee and confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, then my prayer right now would be that by the power of the Spirit, he would prompt you and lead you to that moment. If you have, and you have tasted that the Lord is good, then I invite you to partake with the Lord, of the Lord's Supper with us today. In Mark 14, 22 through 24, and when they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. Church, will you take the bread and will you eat? And he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Will you take and drink? Gracious Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. That he is Lord of lords. That he sits at the right hand. That he did not count equality with you something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, becoming the form of a servant taking on flesh, being obedient to you even to the point of death, even death on the cross, to atone for our sins.
We thank you for this promise that is an oath that is never ending, that is everlasting, that you will not change your mind on. Father, we ask that we would be a people who continually submit our heart and life to the Lordship of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Final thing is Jesus is the elevated king. These final three verses, look at them real quick. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook on the way. Therefore, he will, be lift, he will lift up his head. As we get to these final three verses, we see that it moves us from the book of Hebrews to the book of Revelation. That there is a Lord of lords, there is a priest of priests, and there is a king of kings. And the king of kings who sits at the right hand and all authority will return one day. Revelation 19, 11 through 16 says it this way, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and a name by which he is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with, an iron, with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. As we look at the world around us and we look at the nations and the kingdoms at war, as we look at world leaders who do not acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ, there will come a day when they will be punished. And apart from Christ, their sins are not atoned for, and judgment is coming. Proverbs eleven twenty one says, Be assured, an evil person will not go unpunished but the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. He is Lord of lords. He is priest of priests, and he is king of kings. I'd like to close with this quote by J.I. Packer. Christians take great comfort in knowing that Christ is the Lord of all. They seek in every sphere of life to do his will and to remind themselves and others that all are accountable to Christ as judge. Whether they are governors or governed, Husbands or wives, parents or children, employees or em employers or employees, all rational beings will finally give an account of themselves to Christ as judge. Christ's session will continue until all his and our enemies, including death, are brought to nothing. Death, the last enemy, will cease to be when Christ, as his appearing, raises the dead for judgment. Once judgment has been executed, the work of the mediatorial kingdom will be over and Christ will triumphantly deliver the kingdom to the Father. The Lord said to my Lord, 
sit at my right hand until I make all of your enemies a footstool. Let's worship. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who is Lord of lords, who is priest of priests, and who is king of kings. Father, today I pray that you would, you would reveal your kingdom to us, that we would be men and women, husbands and wives, sons and daughters who bow our knee to your kingship. Father, we pray that this world will soon bow its knee to your kingship and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Father, we worship you today as Lord, as Savior. In Christ's name, amen. Will you stand? Will you respond?